Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Danielle Bays from the Humane Society of the United States, and I'd really like to welcome her into her new position, joining us as the director of Cat Jeopardy, our policy show. So, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so, Danielle is... Uh, is replacing Katie, who has taken on other responsibilities. And, Danielle, you're responsible now for for shepherding us through all the different community cat policy issues going on all around the country. And so I'm going to spin the magic wheel and shout out a couple of states, and you can fill us in on on what's going on in uh, how about let's uh, talk about Delaware. Delaware, okay. Delaware's had a, a community cat bill in the legislature this year, and that was led by Best Friends. They were doing a lot of work on that, and it's kind of been a little on the quiet side, but it has been very successful, and it, as of this recording, it has passed both the House and the Senate, so it is up for the, the signature of the governor. So hopefully by the time you all are hearing this, it will have been signed. And Delaware is a state that's been doing a lot of, of TNR and return to field. So they have a track record going into the legislature, so it was a, a lot easier uh, to get their support for this. The bill defines free roaming cats and, and free roaming cat programs, and it kind of makes what the, the work that they've been doing in the state um, codified into the law. So it's really, really exciting, um, and it's Bob the great work that Batch Friends has done on this bill. And are there any specific components to the the bill that, I mean, is it just general protection and support, or is it funding for for community cats? It's uh, a lot of just really the basics, uh, the definitions of free-roaming cats, free-roaming cat programs, clarifies that these people uh, are not the owners of the cat, the people who are caretaking the cats are not owners, um, as we know that can also often be a, a challenge when you're caring for a group of, of cats outdoors or you're doing some TNR and then you're uh, held to the same provisions that an owner might be um, because there's a very different relationship that we have with these cats. Um, so it, it clarifies that, makes everything that they're, they're doing um, completely legal, clears up any kind of gray areas or questions they may have. Um, and it's a big step forward for for the state of Delaware that does a kind of a return to field on a, on a statewide basis. And so they've really, really embraced um, the whole concept of, of community cat. And we're really excited to, to see that. Um, hope, hope other states will, will take notice and see what they can do as well. And um, so what's going on in Rhode Island? Rhode Island was a, that's an interesting interesting situation there. It started out as a bill that would clarify the abandonment statute in the state to make it clear that doing TNR was not abandonment. The return of the cat um, was, would not be considered abandoned because often the person who's doing the return, doing the TNR, is not necessarily the person who's um, caring for that cat going on. Um, it may be a volunteer. It's not necessarily the caretaker. Um, it may be someone who works with the TNR group in the state, 
Um, so there were some questions in one small community about that, and they were concerned. So they had asked their local legislator to put forward this bill that would clarify this. Well, the problem with, with state legislation, and one of the things that makes it a little bit more challenging is that you can put forward a bill, but other people can add to it. Um, and that's kind of what happened. There were some amendments made um, on the bequest of the, the state that um, to add some definitions of what was required, what, what TNR was, um, and requirements for that. And one of the requirements was for the person who's doing the TNR to have with them, while they're returning the cat, written permission from the property owner that they were allowed to be there to return the cat. Um, and that wasn't the intent of the bill. It creates an additional burden. You know, a lot of times people are happy to allow you on their property to trap cats and return them, but they're not necessarily going to want to write something down. Um, maybe it's a tenant who lives there. You're working with a resident who rents a house, rents an apartment. Would they be willing to do that? They may not want to have something written. Um, and, and actually having that piece of paper on your on your person when you're returning the cat may be, may be difficult. So you need to have different copies. or maybe different people who are returning different cats to the same area. Um, so it was really seen as kind of an additional burden. Um, so that bill did not um, pass. The, the legislature just ended, and the bill had not passed through the whole both chambers by the time that the session ended. So that, that died. And so I think that's a, a really good point to look at how what you may be doing doesn't necessarily end up where you want it to be. But the groups, right. in, the groups in Rhode Island, um, some of the working with groups there and some other organizations, Pollock Watch is the main group in Rhode Island who um, pretty much does all the TNR in the state. It's pretty amazing the, the reach that they have. Um, we'll be working next year on something a little bit more comprehensive that we think we can get a little bit more support for moving forward to help deal with those issues, those kind of gray areas of abandonment and getting more buy-in for the, the TNR work that they do and kind of legitimize it with some of the, the local communities. Yeah, so I have a question with regards to, so here's a situation where it sounds like one segment of the community suggested that, that this legislation be created, and you said, and then it kind of grew and grew and grew, but then it eventually died. Is there a thought around just, like, letting it stay dead and not try and recraft and create something new? I mean, when do we just sort of, when do we use legislation and when do we not use legislation, I guess? That's a really good good question. Um, and often legislators will ask that, like, what is the, the need? If there isn't a problem to solve, um, they often don't want to waste their time in dealing with it. Um, this particular issue came up because a community was hesitant to do TNR because they thought there was some gray area about whether it would be considered abandoned. So they just wanted to make sure that that was, that was clarified. Um, but is that really a big enough problem that required uh, a new bill. Um, so I think that's kind of where we're at of looking back at the whole entire statute for the state to see where it may be able to be uh, modified, strengthened, some changes made um, that isn't the same approach that was taken um, this, this past year. Um, and this bill had actually been introduced a couple times previously um, that where it didn't move at all. Um, this year did get some hearings. Um, but it wasn't getting any support from either side. It was kind of just 
moving along on its own. Um, but you want to look at, like, what is really needed and why it's needed. Um, and sometimes legislation isn't. If, if there isn't anything that prohibits what you're doing, um, you don't necessarily need to make uh, a law that actually allows for it. So each state's going to be a little different, and it's really worth taking some time to really think about what's going on. Um, this is kind of a process that's happening right now in Wisconsin, where there's a lot of discussion amongst the groups in the state um, about what's needed. Where, where are the gaps? Where are the problems? Where do we need to fix things? And sometimes it's not the solution is not a legislative solution. There might be some gaps that can be fixed um, with local ordinances. There can be gaps that could be fixed with um, additional funding and resources or just a mind shift of how existing policies are enforced. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, we have to be very careful because something can be put in place and you don't really understand what the ramifications could be if it gets interpreted in a different way. Or, mm -hmm. as you're saying, if somebody tacks something onto it later, that maybe the original intentions of the bill gets kind of twisted. Right. It's unintended consequences. So you're weighing whether you're getting the benefit of what you're putting forward is worth taking the consequence of what someone is tacked on. Um, in this yeah. case, in, in Rhode Island, um, we didn't necessarily think that that was fair trade-off. We weren't really getting anything and at the end of the day from this bill. So um, we're happy to see that it, it quietly um, quietly died at the end of the session. I find that very interesting because Rhode Island, according to Shelter Animals Count, um, their data is one of the the states with the highest like TNR rates, trap new return rates. Um, and um, so it really is on the map as sort of a mecca for TNR through the work of Pawswatch, which uh, Chad Nelson was a guest of ours a few shows earlier um, to talk about the work that they're doing in Rhode Island. So it's very interesting that sort of there's this question when there's really, I'd say, a pretty deep dive of trap new to return going on in that state. I mean, it's not the biggest state in the world, too, so I, it's also pretty easy to cover. Yeah, it's, and it's just pretty amazing that nearly all of the, the TNR going on in the state is done by Pawswatch. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a good credit to them, and, and um, I hope that they're able to continue to do that great work and expand and, and get some recognition for, for what they do. We're proud to be an affiliate of Space Kitty Express, makers of handmade, refillable catnip alternative cat toys. Think Valerian, Silver Vine, Honeysuckle, etc. for the discerning cat who wants to try something new or doesn't respond to catnip. You can even get 10% off your purchase at Space Kitty Express by using the code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout. Help your kitty blast off today with some new toys from www.spacekittyexpress.com. Did you miss the 2018 online cat conference that we held in January? Or would you like to share some of the conference webinars with friends? You can now purchase the presentations and share them with colleagues and friends. Just visit our recordings page, which is under the resources tab, to access webinars from some of the leading personalities in feline welfare today. They're sure to give you and your cat-loving friends great ideas on ways to help even more cats. Check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com. So we're going to swing to the other side of the country and talk about the hotspot, Hawaii. 
Hawaii, one of our, our favorite states. Uh, Hawaii is always uh, a hotbed of discussion about outdoor cats um, for many reasons, climate, um, capacity, uh, state resources. So they've tried a, a variety of different approaches. And, and this year we saw even more um, bills in the legislature there that came at it from various angles. Um, there were some actual bills that were promoting TNR, which is, is new for the state. A lot of the times in the past, it's all been very defensive and, and bills that were from the opposition aimed at um, removing and, and killing a lot of the cats that were outdoors. So this year, some of the groups there were putting forward bills that would actually set up some standards, um, definitions, um, and clearly allow for TNR in the state. Um, they ultimately did not did not pass, but um, opened up that discussion of what is needed, what is really involved, what are some of the, the challenges, and got all the groups in the, in the state um, talking about these. Um, one of the challenges in Hawaii is also the different islands, and a lot of times the, different, the, the groups on the different islands aren't as connected, the, the volunteers and trappers and, and people doing cat rescue work um, have that, that geographic divide of the ocean between them. Um, so this also helps really start building more of a, a network and communication with these groups and moving forward so that when they come back with this, um, these efforts in future years, they can be um, more coordinated and, and hopefully get more progress. In addition to that, there were some bills about Bay neuter funding, um, and that was one of the ones that we were really promoting because at the core of everything here and, and what everyone can agree on, whether you're supportive of community cats or the folks in the opposition, is that we need more money there for spay neuter services. Um, there's a lot of cats, um, and there's not a lot of access to, to that care. Um, part of it is that island, um, anyone who's been in Hawaii knows it's not that close. It's not just a hop, skip, and a jump to get there. So that means supplies and other things that have to be shipped there um, drive the prices up. Um, you don't necessarily have the volume of, of vets there. You don't have um, a lot of senior services at all the shelters. There's still um, a need for more of that, um, and not just for community cats, but for, for all cats and, and for dogs as well. So we had put forth an idea about doing a pet food surcharge. It's very similar to what is being done in Maryland that has been very successful in raising money that has been awarded through a grant program to groups doing stay neuter through the state. Um, there were a few hiccups in, in Hawaii on that. They, they don't have the same kind of infrastructure of monitoring the pet food sales, so there wasn't an easy mechanism to add this on. But getting the idea of having some some funding mechanism where people who care about animals, people who are buying the, the cat food and the, the pet food, um, are contributing. Um, so it's not necessarily a tax on a business. It's not necessarily coming from other government um, funding roles, um, contributing back into a thing neuter fund. Um, so I, I'm hoping that that conversation can continue and by having more resources to do more spaying neuter, it's going to have a, a good impact on um, the overall cat population there and try to get that um, a little bit more under control than it's been. Yeah, I, I've heard some phenomenal things about the Maryland program um, and the success and the ability of being able to 
have more access for spaying and neutering in that state. So if that could happen in Hawaii, that would be absolutely tremendous. And I, I'm sure it does sound like I mean, each island probably has its different set of challenges based on what services are available on, on each island. I know that there are one or two clinics that have opened within the last year or so. So there's, there is more capacity than there used to be. Yeah, Maui Humane just expanded their hospital and are have implemented more TNR and return to field programs there. Um, they're doing some phenomenal work. Um, there's some new spay neuter clinics open with Humane Society in Oahu. But yeah, there's still some some challenges on some of the the other islands and just having that that access. But yeah, there's there's been some tremendous growth and there's a lot of folks, really great folks, working in the state. Um, and trying to get this going. So, um, you know, any kind of additional resources that we can do to, to help them all out and realize that their vision for uh, a cat population that is not breeding so uh, so much in the sun and in the warm weather and without mm-hmm. a lot of the things that kind of limit populations in other parts of the country. So are there other spay-neuter funding initiatives that, that you know of that are that are going on across the country? Yeah, some other states have been trying things as well. Um, Idaho had a bill about uh, creating a state license plate, um, which another a bunch of other states also have. Um, unfortunately, that did not pass um, this year, but we anticipate that that effort will come back. New Mexico had a bill that expanded their current. They do have a state funding process right now. Um, and they had a bill that would expand the amount of money going into it. It passed the legislature, um, but unfortunately, the governor vetoed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was unfortunate that there wasn't the support on the administrative level for that. But again, they will come back and and keep fighting. Um, New Jersey has a license plate bill also. It's pending right now. That their session kind of goes year round, so they're still working on that one. I mean, I, I believe there are quite a few states now that do have license plates. Is that is that true? Yeah, license plates is one mechanism. Some states are tax checkoff, um, the, like the pet food uh, surcharge in, in um, Maryland that we talked about, um, similar in, in Maine. So there are a lot of different ways that this, these funds can be can be generated. The license plate is a nice one. It's very visible. Um, and it's, this is also a really great way where shelters, um, advocates can really engage and, and try to work with their own legislators about expanding programs, opening up new opportunities, because even those that do have good funding, um, you know, we all know that we can always use more funding. We're, I have not yet heard of a, of a state that has more they need their funding that they can utilize. So, <laughs> yeah, I w- wish we get to that that day, huh? Declawing legislation um, that is happening in certain parts of the country too. Yeah, that's a, a new trend. Uh, we're seeing a lot more of an effort to pass legislation prohibiting the declawing of of cats. And this year, we've had we have a bill pending in in New York. There's a bill in New Jersey. Um, as well as planning it past the committee. So we've had a few bills that didn't quite make it. Uh, the Rhode Island legislature adjourned before their bill was able to be passed. Um, and in California, they had a bill there that did encounter some opposition and it didn't move forward. But the city of Denver actually last fall passed a ban on, on declines. And we've seen a lot more um, 
a lot more work on this going on and successful work going on in Canada, um, British Columbia, Nova Scotia, um, at the end mm-hmm. of last year, both yep. passed uh, laws banning, declawing. So um, it's it's kind of a, a patchwork. It's not necessarily as um, kind of an organized effort. We see bills kind of popping up in different areas where there seems to be legislators who are, are interested and wanting to move forward with this. Um, the vet community may or may not be in favor of some of these, and that's kind of some of the, the challenges of, of how the bills are worded and, and and how successful they are and, and who is getting on board with the, the support of, of, of the legislation in these different states. So I, I expect that we'll see more and more of this um, in the next few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that for some of us seem like a pretty simple solution to getting declawing sort of mm-hmm. off the off the books. I think the trends in general in the veterinary community are um, against declawing. I don't know of, there are not that many practices, at least in the area that I'm in, mm-hmm. that, you know, offer declawing. So um, mm-hmm. I would think that there would be more parties on board with that. Yeah, and I, I think it's an example where just having these bills is helping change um, public opinion and, and policy at the veterinary clinic level and the business level. Uh, we're seeing, like you said, more and more veterinarians not doing declawing unless it's it's medically necessary. If, you know, um, occasionally a you know a cat may have like an ingrown nail that is causing regular issues, and they would do that for like a non therapeutic reason. So it's, it, it is having an impact of how how veterinarians are viewing this and, and what is happening. Um, Banfield no longer promotes um, doing declaws on on their patients. So um, more education about behavior modification and, and uh, providing proper scratching posts and things like that. So we're seeing that as a consequence of, of this legislation being discussed and introduced. So even if it doesn't pass, uh, we may end up with the same kind of result that we're looking for. So, Danielle, if folks are interested in finding out more about the work that you do, how would they do that? You can visit animalsheltering.org, our website, to find out a lot of information on the kind of work we do for cats and other companion animals in the country. Um, you can also reach out to me directly if you want to send me an email. Um, my email address is dbay, so it's D as in Danielle, and my last name, B-A-Y-S, at humanesociety.org. I'm happy to help if anyone needs um, help in their community or advice or just want to say hi. (laughs) And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just encourage everyone to to get engaged. And we're talking a lot today about state-level legislation, but uh, legislation on your community level often can have uh, as big an impact as the state-level legislation, and that's something that anyone in any community can get involved in improving and changing. Um, find out who who your elected official is, give them a call, and have a conversation. It's as easy as that. Danielle, you did a great job with the uh, policy jeopardy for today, so I want to thank you for that and for, for coming on and being a guest on my show. Well, thank you. Jeopardy was always a favorite show in my family growing up, so I'm glad I get to be a contestant um, in some in some realms here. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll touch base in in six months or so and see what's changed. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. 
Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 